0: episode three here we go hello rain um how are you i'm good yeah okay uh like you say hello ray ray mcdermott here from belgium this is vijay from uh, holland and
1: we just wanted to make sure that you know we, we introduce ourselves a bit so people don't forget us already
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, just a quick reminder that we're uh, we're doing this podcast to try and give people a deeper technical understanding about closure and closure script. Hopefully, um, still keep it fairly accessible. Um, yeah. But uh, I think we've had some pretty good uh, support um, and follow up from the uh, from the listeners. It's been pretty positive. In fact, remarkably positive, even on places like Reddit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually really surprised and it was pretty amazing. And as you were pointing out, there was a, before even we announced it, that a new episode is available, somebody else already tweeted following uh, SoundCloud Upload. So we are very um, happy with the feedback that we've got so far and we hope to keep the level up and then help you guys. Uh, I don't know whether you're listening while you're doing your workout or going to your work. You know, we, want to be, we want to make sure that you get some closure knowledge.
0: Exactly. Yeah, actually, uh, the other thing we should do is uh, make a shout out. We've got a website on deaf and audio. We're also on the Twitters. Um, You can find email on there as well. If you want to get in touch with us to tell about conferences or meetups or other things that are happening in the the closure sphere, um, we're in Europe, but anywhere in the world really, you know, this is a global thing. So we we will tell a bit about European things, I guess, with... uh, as things get a bit more exciting in Europe, um, round about October when we get the Euro closure um, bandwagon rolling into Bratislava. I've booked my aeroplane tickets, by the way, for that.
1: Oh, okay. I was planning to do a road trip there,
0: so I'll probably drive... Oh, you're making a road trip? Yeah,
1: all the way from the Netherlands okay. to uh, Slovakia, I think, is it? Slovenia. Slovakia. Oh, Slovakia, yeah.
0: yeah. Bratislava, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a pretty long wow. road trip, but I hope to um, have some... Uh, maybe nice company during that time and then we can talk uh, stuff or maybe we'll do a podcast on the road, you know. <laughs> know. <laughs> okay. All so right, good. Let's get into this episode. I think last uh, episode we, um, we we discussed a lot about the reader and uh, we promised that we're going to get into REPL uh, and, and I also, I think, uh, made a nice tweet or, or I was piquing some people's interest that we are going to have an... Pretty uh good episode with a surprise um, for you guys and girls uh, so let me introduce our special guest for this episode and uh, he's been very kind to um, uh, respond to our request and then uh, uh, as you probably know him our the closure people already know him i think so he, um, he he's been the primary developer for Plank uh, to bring closure script to the Mac and also the replete so you guys are i think Ray was showing off replete on on his ipad pro and so, um, so uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Mike Fikes. Hello, Mike. Hi, Ray. Hi, BJ. How you doing? Good. How are you? Very yeah. really good. Thank you for joining uh, across the pond. i <laughs> oh, no problem. All the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think first of all, we'd we'd like to uh, do a quick introduction. So, can you can you tell us something about your uh, your interest in closure and how did you start into um, building these kind of ripples and you know you, you're you're contributing a lot in especially for the Mac
2: and iOS platform. So how did you start? Yeah, so I would say that I was probably like someone who wanted to do functional programming maybe about five years ago, and I went down the path of, you know, learning about Haskell and Scala, I didn't really get into Clojure back then, but uh, later on I was developing iOS apps, and I kind of had the freedom to, to do whatever I wanted to do because I was doing it for myself, and uh, ultimately decided to try doing it using ClojureScript, Script. Um, and and that's that's what kind of got me into the closure ecosystem and the language, um, and and ever that, I think that was maybe a couple of years ago, uh, and um, you know to to do that you kind of want to have a REPL into your device. So that was kind of like always this dream of mine is to be able to have a REPL into my into my iPhone.
1: Yeah, because I mean, one of the things that mm-hmm. that I was. Um, really surprised about this whole Apple ecosystem is that there was no run, other language runtimes were allowed onto the App Store before, and then Replete that's was, true. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then later they started allowing. Okay, you can use JavaScript, and then uh, I think that kind of paved the way to making this Replete application.
2: Yeah, I was kind of right? I was kind of worried about that as well. Um, and I, I had like a conventional uh, app even prior to that uh, that was based that had Closure Script inside of it, running it. And I was, yeah. you know, it's, you, you can't even tell that it's in there if you didn't know. Um, but I was kind of like wondering, like, well, Apple might know, you know. But, <laughs> but you're right. Later on, they, I think they actually formally blessed that way of doing apps. Yeah, they, actually, yeah, they had even a, um, a, uh, a, a session in one of their WWDC conferences where they talked about how to use JavaScript to drive an iOS app. So it's definitely a blessed way of doing it
0: yeah i guess the only thing that's a bit weird about the uh the javascript on ios though is this whole thing that's going on in the ecosystem about circumventing the update process
2: yes yeah so um the reviews take like well i guess they're getting quicker now but they used to take about a week at least to get through a review so you, you have this motivation to want to try to avoid that if you can um and I think Apple really just doesn't want you to, you know, fundamentally change the behavior of your app without it really going through review. But uh, that's you're right. If you can, if you can just have a almost like a backdoor or a new way to put some JavaScript in there, you could you can update things. And
1: that's okay. that's so kind of a,
0: yeah.
1: So to set up some sort of an uh, uh, I don't know a kind of a vague agenda for this episode. So first, we'd like to discuss some. Uh, the the internals of REPL a bit. Uh, Of course, Mike will be helping us and uh, we'll we'll be asking questions to Mike and maybe we are going to interview Mike and then (laughs) give him a job as a REPL author or or at least, you know, Mac uh, expert. And and later we'll get into uh, a bit more into the integration of the REPL and IDEs. And uh, I think Ray uh, was pointing out um, some other uses of uh, REPL as well.
0: Like, yeah so i think we want to look at there's a different there's different various different classes of repls isn't there? there's repls which are kind of like stuff that's for specific platforms stuff that's inside of ides stuff that's like listening on the file system for live coding experiences and then stuff that's on the web so you can have embedded closure script in your web pages and then there's then there's all these kind of fun things that we maybe just come to at the end a little bit, like live live repls, live music repl as a kind of art form. Um, so, so yeah, okay. Um, maybe as we start, Mike, with uh, your tech job interview okay. day one, yeah. where we and we yeah. will just troll the shit out of you about. <laughs> so, Mike, what do you know about like, closure script then? <laughs> All
1: right, we'll let really you go first. Okay, okay. <laughs> sure. So we've been checking your GitHub and we noticed. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> anyway, so uh let's 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 talk about REPL. So Mike, uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, um how how a REPL works from uh, from a tooling point of view and how, a, how uh, REPL how how Rappel reads and gets the forms and and gives you the output.
2: Yeah, so um so, I guess if normally you have to type something into a computer, right? And it has to read your characters. And then at some point, something in that stack gets this stream of bytes or, you know, a string basically. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I suppose if you if you have a REPL that's written in Java, you're using Java to get that, you know, through some sort of input mechanism. Something like something like Plonk is or, or Replete they're they're using native ways to get that. But ultimately, I guess in the end, you're just getting a string that's passed to you, and you can get it whatever way you'd like, you know, when you're you're building that REPL. Uh And then and then of course you have to take that string and, and pass it to the reader, like like your last episode was talking about. Yeah. And you can yeah you can convert that into a, f- a form um, and what I think is kind of interesting is uh, in, in something like closure um, you can then uh, have that form be compiled uh, and what's interesting in, in closure script you kind of have to come you're, you're transpiling it right you're turning it into JavaScript yep yeah. yeah. and one thing that's kind of interesting about like if you think about conventional closure script where the, the JavaScript engine is actually running off in a browser in the typical case. And so that's
1: of, the, that's the basically a kind of a piggybacking into the Browser REPL Yes.
2: Yeah, so, so using case, the Browser repo. Yeah, In that case, like, r- really one fundamental setup is that you have um, a Java process that is your REPL running on your computer, uh, and then you have your browser sitting there with the JavaScript engine running in it. Hmm. And, and effectively, inside the Java process, you're using the, the Closure script compiler, which is written in Closure, to, to compile down to JavaScript forms. Um, and, and really, it's it's not that complicated. But what happens is, once you have the the JavaScript, you send it across the wire or whatever, some way to get it into into that remote JavaScript engine, and you evaluate it in there as JavaScript, okay. you know. And that that kind of mutates your JavaScript environment, uh, usually making a new function or or maybe defining a new value, something like that.
1: Yeah. So the, the the fundamental difference between closure REPL and closure script REPL as you were pointing out, is that is the way uh, the, the, the compilation step essentially in in case of closure, and, yeah. and there is no compilation step in. Well, there is compilation, but that is basically transpiling into JavaScript. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah.
2: And, and uh, from apart from that, I guess it's roughly the same model. Yeah. Um. Hmm.
0: Okay. So. Uh, so, Mike, what about um, the kind of traditional REPLs that are terminal based like Plank or stuff that's based over the network like NREPL or socket REPLs? What do you think about the, the differences there?
2: Okay, yeah. In so terms of
0: the implementations.
2: So, so I guess the one, you mentioned socket REPLs and, and NREPL. Um, I guess you could, you could draw a distinction between REPLs that have their environment with them. Like uh, Plank is an example of that, and Replete is an example of that. they since they're based on Bootstrap Closure Script, they're kind of closer to Closure, and the fact that hmm. the the underlying host, if you will, that we always talk about, that the, these are hosted languages. The host is there with you in the REPL, um, and when you have something like um, Oh, you know, like like Amble that's talking to a remote iOS device or a, tr- a traditional Repl that's talk to, talking to a web browser. That those are the cases where you have something that's remote. Um, but then, if you think about Socket Repl, that just lets you um, use even like Closure or Closure Script Repls. You can use those across the wire. You know, so in that case, you are. Uh, you you are remote, but the actual the Repl, if you will, if you will, is kind of itself remote from you. You're you're just basically telnetted into it and and sending characters to it across the wire.
1: Yeah, I think you were also mentioning the kind of so what is the communication medium? So in, in okay. a normal socket, Repl is essentially
2: bytes. Right? Yeah, yeah. So socket REPL is, is remarkably simple. It's basically, you can imagine um, if you had a normal REPL, and this is exactly the way Planck works, and I'm assuming the, the the closure socket REPL works, is you, you basically, um, inside your REPL, say you have a REPL that's working, like Planck was, and then I said, oh, let me add socket REPL support to it. All you do is you open up a socket and listen. <laughs> and yeah. as those bytes come in, you per- it's almost as if it's as, it's the same as if the user had typed that into the console you know you take those bytes and you almost treat them in the same way um, yeah. and you evaluate them and and then you send the re- you you kind of like print the response back across the REPL, across that socket
1: okay um, so in the case of end yeah. uh, i think it's much more structured or there is a protocol or some sort of a schema behind it like what kind of
2: data that is flowing on the network i think you're right yeah there's there is yeah. some sort of pro- i haven't dealt with it but yeah there's some yeah, yeah. something more to it
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's based on maps. Maps, isn't it? All the, all the data is sent across in maps rather than as in raw bytes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So oh. I, I was curious about the naming, though. So okay. yeah. I can I can I can understand Replete. You know, Replete is based on REPL so <laughs> there is a. There is some sense of, uh, I don't know, how how did you come up with the name, but why did you, why did you pick Planck? I mean, is it Planck's constant, like
2: Max Plank? Yeah, Planck or- yeah, okay. <laughs> so so um, I, was, I was messing around with Replete, and I was thinking, you know, Replete is a bootstrapped REPL, and, and I was using it, and it was pretty quick to start up even on an iPhone. I'm like, oh, I can actually, you know, start it up, and eh, within a second or two, start typing forms into it. So I'm like, oh, what yeah. if I took this thing and I put it on the desktop? It'll be even faster, yeah. right, you know? so that that's what I'm like oh well, I'll put it on there and I'll see how quick I can get this thing to start up and I'm like what is the fastest thing you could think of and that's the, the uh, <laughs> it's that plank time length or whatever so yeah, that's, yeah. that's where the name came from I'm like ah oh, maybe I'll just make okay. a play on that yeah
1: oh pretty cool so some, yeah. someday it's going to be super fast that we'll probably start to travel back in time essentially
2: yeah
0: oh. it'll
1: anticipate what you're going to type in and exactly. evaluate oh. the oh. form before you type you've it. got some yeah. AI
0: work to do on that one yeah <laughs>
1: Okay, so um, can you give us some idea about the the, the, the kind of te- technical uh, underpinnings or, or technical details about the, the REPLs that you have? So I, I heard from Ray that you, you were using WebDAV or something to get the REPLs working on iPhone uh, in the beginning. Yeah, um, yeah. On iOS, essentially. So what what is it based on right now? So how does it work? Okay,
2: so so that's Ambly that um, Ray was referring mm-hmm. to. And the technical thing about that one is that if you if you think about you're using a closure script REPL normally, uh, what it'll do is as it compiles or transpiles your 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 files or your code to uh, JavaScript, those get written to disk. Um, and the way they really work is uh, then that stuff can be loaded into your, your JavaScript environment. The only real difference with Ambly is that the, you know, the, the JavaScript core engine is remote. It's on a, on a remote device. And uh, actually, David Nolan came up with this architecture, which is to say, hey, what if we, instead of having the, the compiler output be written to disk on your Mac, essentially, uh, what if we redirect it to point it at the device and write to a file system on the device? And that's that's roughly, if you kind of like really summarize what Ambly's is doing, is it's basically um, compiling to the device as a disk, and then there's a little bit of like coordination above that to say, hey, after you've compiled this file, go ahead and tell the remote JavaScript engine to load that file in, load the resulting JavaScript in.
1: Okay, but how, how do you how do you contrast it with um, with Plunk and? Um Okay, yeah. So, so
2: Plunk and Re- Replete are, are, have an easier job because they, they are kind of co-located with the JavaScript engine. So um, in that case, um, it's, it's as simple as basically saying, okay, the user typed in a form, let me uh, compile it, transpile it to JavaScript, and evaluate it right there in the same environment. Uh, there's no need to deal with you know, tossing it across the wire to a remote uh, entity.
0: Just another thing, following up from that, Mike. Actually, does that mean that on Ambly, with Ambly, you don't need um, you don't need React Native?
2: That's true. Yeah. So, so um, I've used Ambly to just develop straight up apps where you have a closure script environment running in the app, and and actually Ambly was created before React Native existed. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. Exactly. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. obviously, React Native is mostly about making the UI more performant anyway isn't it rather than actually having the underlying JavaScript engine itself because that does come with iOS like you were saying earlier mm-hmm. um, so it's just a matter of making the UI nicer and smoother and more responsive on Android and iOS yeah and I think
2: for for at least for me the whole draw of React Native so I, so I wrote a ClojureScript app in the App Store and I don't know if I would do that again now now that React Native exists because what i did was i basically you know like i said i have this dream of writing stuff in a functional way you know pure functions immutable data and and that previous app was built by having closure if you will drive and poke at the that the native ui elements you know what else are you going to do you have to kind of do it somehow and and it's it's this big bag of mutation right you know and and right. and now for me the, the important thing for me at least with react native is this the ability to use things like ohm and reagent and and take a more structured approach to things and, and 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 deal with things in a in a more functional manner you know your ui is a function of your state kind of argument
1: yeah so okay. uh, i see that um, on, on, I've, I've been trying out Replete on 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 ios obviously and of course i, I miss emacs because you know Replete has this tiny <laughs> text area Oh man. And it's yeah. very difficult to type. Uh, I apologize. Type I
2: apologize. How, how hard it is to type on it? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's already <laughs> awesome, and, and
1: and we see that you know the, the way that you are you are building features into it. For example, you just introduced the parent for support. I think, uh, pretty recently. Uh, so, what w- what is um w- what was it? Is parent for completely implemented in ClojureScript script in on repeat? Um, oh, okay, how, how did yeah. You, how do you um, do
2: that? So. ParInfer was originally implemented in, um, in ClojureScript. Uh, and then Sean, Sean LeBron, I think, yep. optimized it. And he, he, he took his original implementation and converted it to a pure JavaScript implementation. I think he was okay. really oh, focused yeah. on performance for handling cases when you have a lot of text that you're editing. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I guess you were asking, how, how does that fit into Replete? It's really just a library that it uses. Um, okay. So as you're typing forms, um, and it's actually only using that. Um, it's only using parn for to, to to decide how to format the text as you're hitting return, if you will. Like when you want to go to the next line, it's not really a full Parin for implementation. Uh, so it's kind Doesn't of does like I thought
0: when you opened yeah. a parenthesis. I thought when you opened up a parenthesis, it did pop another pop another one afterwards.
2: Oh, you're right. Yep. No. Nope. See, yeah. I've forgotten about that. You're right. <laughs> it does do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Like yeah. it, it inferred a parenthesis, perhaps you know. Yeah, hence the name. Yeah. Come on, Mike. Come, yeah. on, come on. Thank you. But if but you want to get this job, you know, fail the job interview.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: do you do you plan to make it like a full editor eventually? Because I, I would really love to have that on 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 the device, so I can. I know, you know, opening yeah, know. files and all the stuff is pretty difficult on my quiz. I know that. And yeah, I have yeah. some, some editors installed on that one, but they get the data from Dropbox or or some other places.
2: Yeah, so so for me, um, for me, replete was all about I I don't know if this is, is if this is common amongst people, but when I was learning Clojure, I would walk around and think about it, right? And I'm like, Oh, how does this form? How do, how does that form work? How does binding work? You know, all these little all these concepts that you're new to. And and to be honest it's kind of geeky i would like want to just try it out you know you want to you 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 will think about something you want to try it on a repl and sometimes you don't you're not at a computer so my my dream was really uh yeah. just to have a simple repl that i would had with me in my phone to try mm-hmm. little short form things on you know and 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 i so so i i i think it's good for the educational or learning phase um but you know if some people like to actually like take their ipad on a train or something like that and try to edit some code and 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 use something like like replete to do that so um i i think better editing support in it would be great uh
1: yeah that's true I, I think i think it will be amazing because uh you're you pointing out like people using it on the train but you're you're just giving putting closure script or experimentable closure implementation on an, on an iphone essentially means that there is a huge next generation of people sitting in the toilet actually typing closure forms instead of reading reddit oh yeah so there there is this everybody <laughs> uses phones it's in a the nice toilets, image right? yeah. <laughs> yeah but but it is it is spectacularly useful i must say i mean uh, that that's what I, I use it for you know i just open up the phone and i have replete and then i just type in oh let me try this protocol thing and i just start typing it in there so that was really fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's I still even use it today. Like, if you're like, for example, like syntax quote. You're like, how how does syn? Exactly. I mean, my God, you you really have to type those things out and just try them, and and it'll bug you if you yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and and the the main thing I would like to somehow add to Replete is perhaps a better keyboard <laughs> that's like <laughs> has some parentheses on it or something like that. But that you know that's evidently hard to do. So. Hasn't yeah, but there, because
1: I'm so. I'm using the prompt <laughs> application by the panic guys you know the SSH uh, yeah I've used that thinking. one yeah and yeah they, they have pretty amazing keyboard there of course you know because I the, the whole parenthesis you can customize it I was curious how difficult that is maybe uh, maybe I should try that out uh, because I I did try some macOS uh, sorry the iOS development some time ago so maybe I can uh, I can look into it yeah that, if 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 there is a right keyboard, like the Lisp keyboard, and I, I don't know if you're following the Planet uh, Closure thing, because there is one person who is now on the quest for building the best Lisp keyboard ever. Oh yeah. And maybe we should just take that layout and then try to try to get that one in. Anyway, I'm I'm, I'm not trying to push push more issues <laughs> into your GitHub. You know, I'm just I'm just <laughs> floating some ideas around.
0: Well, yeah. so well, I think the concept yeah. of uh, I was going to say the concept of putting like an ID around a REPL is definitely something we'll talk about a bit later. Yeah. But I think it's like, I think it's, it's a lot of hard work, that's for sure. And it's a different task, as you say, Mike. You know, it's something which um, the ID has to do a hell of a lot more, like interact with GitHub or various other things. It has to have a whole visual flow, saving files. And, you know, there's a lot more stuff around it, making projects, integrating with all kinds of other tools. So... I don't know. I'm, I think we don't want to put too much on, on Mike here. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I'd also say, it's Replete and Plonk are both open
2: source, so if you want to contribute, exactly. Yeah, yeah. have at it.
0: Awesome <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> call. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, we, we're just waiting for VJ's pull request on Closure from last week. You know, he's going to make all kinds of good things happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just uh, actually, before we sort of uh, finish up. Um, there, was, there was a little chat going on around, uh, I think it's mostly initially instigated by Colin Fleming and his uh, talk at the Conj recently. Uh, not, the, not this one. What was it, this one? Was it Closure West? I can't remember. It blur. was the Conj, wasn't it? <laughs> some, some conference yeah. in America. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he talked about how we could do better with our own messages. And he's definitely trying to do that with, uh, with cursive. And then Bruce Howman is starting to do this stuff with uh configurational files around FigWheel. and I know you're interested in it as well could you maybe just give us something or what's your what's your feeling around that area what you know what kind of okay, stuff could yeah. we where where what so, do you think about that and where do you think we're heading so if you look at like the history of
2: closure itself um even just going back like a year ago it was the underlying, like the Script language itself, the implementation was solid, you know, like you could rely on it to, to work, but the tooling yeah. and yeah. all the, you know, all the stuff surrounding that um, was harsh or difficult, you know, and still is in, in many ways. But I, I think we've, we, with enough effort, the community has kind of polished enough of things. And and we've gotten to a point now where where ClojureScript itself is, it, it seems like it's turning a corner now where people are starting to focus on that the nice you know ed, the developer experience on top of all of it so that you know when you do get an exception or whatever it kind of shows you where in the code the exception occurred or tries to point to you or you know this like like the gravy on top of things is starting to occur now that's that's my general high level take on all of it
0: but I think it's, it's well, that's a good. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. But because, it's one of the biggest complaints about on the like the closure um, surveys that people complain about exception messages and stack traces and error messages, and people. I think one of the things that uh, I heard on the Cognicast um, last time when Rich was talking about Spec yeah. was that actually with the macros, you will be able to put some of this Spec magic inside of there. To improve the the transformations and actually understand where the transformations fail and give better messages, so it yeah, seems yeah. like some of the underpinnings is getting better as well. Some of the underpinnings, because obviously I think Colin was mostly talking about closure, not closure script. So it's a, it's Jeff definitely across all of these uh, environments. Yeah, and
2: one thing I've kind of seen with with spec is you can actually um, you can spec a macro, if you will. You can you can define what the macro takes and one way of looking at what you get out of that is that th- you can detect a failure to, c- to conform right away like as you know before like during macro or right before macro expansion so instead of right, you, right. instead of like this train wreck occurring later on after macro expansion and you call something way later you know and it's yeah it's too, yeah, yeah. You, you kind of get this upfront you know thing occurring with spec with macros uh and uh, i think, that, I think th- that could help a lot you know
0: I'll be really interested to see whether with 1.9, because actually originally when I heard about spec, I thought, oh, it's just going to be one of these core async things. It's just be another library, you know. And it sort of feels like it is a library. But then when you start thinking about it a bit further, you think, oh yeah, okay, maybe it does need to be in the language, because obviously they're very conservative with changing the language itself. Um, but if if it's in if it's in the language, then in theory, they could reverse engineer some of these macros and put specs around them and actually give better error messages. I don't know if that, they're going to do that, but in theory, that's possible. Yeah, so, so I
2: was messing around. You can try this yourself. Like if you said, I want to write a spec for Defen, which is the name of this podcast, right? So yeah. you, can write a, you can write a spec for that. <laughs> it's, it's basically valid, awesome, well, that's... then it's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> <But> you can, <laughs> if, you, if you look at that macro and the way it really works... Oh, the egos. <laughs> There's a there's like a lot of steps inside that macro where it's looking to see like okay is this the doc string, uh, is this the attribute map, is this the arguments vector you know the parameter vector, and and, and you look at the way all that's done it's kind of like hand coded look it's pulling it apart you know and, and figuring out which pieces are which, mm-hmm. and with spec you have like this um, this cat abstraction where you can say like this thing follows that thing it's a regular expression idea right. And you can say, you can, yeah, say, yeah, you can yeah. more, you can, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can, as a human being, you can quickly write uh, the spec for Defen. And you can say this occurs before that thing. And what you get is this this wonderful machinery underneath it that will yeah. take your spec and see if what the user typed in conforms to that. So, uh, so it makes it humanly possible to actually just write specs for macros. You know, e- even if you or I were writing a macro, we could actually write a spec for it and produce a better oh yeah so, definitely
0: yeah. definitely i'm just saying that you know if if they were if they were to to sort of do the work on the language as well then you'd get it everywhere because obviously i don't want to write a spec for definitely oh yeah mental, that's that's a good
2: i think <laughs> yeah. i think that there oh i hope i hope that there's a plan for for cognatech or the community to write specs for everything in there yeah yeah yeah
1: that's basically like, right. um,
2: like the core type thing or, you know, in, in the racket community, there is this
1: retrofitting the whole contracts onto the existing libraries. So there is a lot of, I think that it's, it's a Spartan eff- effort, you know, there is a lot of, a lot of time and effort required to do that for the entire closure core though. Yeah.
0: But you could do it on, there's probably, you could do it on, you know. The like deafen and yeah yeah piece by piece basis yeah that's
1: true some of the
0: most core macros yeah but I guess the question it'd be interesting question actually about whether whether spec actually reveals some behavior that is kind of like would break (laughs) things (laughs) (laughs) well I'm just thinking if you put if you put the spec in there suddenly it it won't pass you know things that have been things that have passed before suddenly won't pass anymore so I don't know I guess there's all these kind of because obviously they're that's the backward compatibility thing is an issue. So yeah. but but they're all they actually, if I'm not wrong, you could you could set it up. Don't say this. Okay, I'm gonna say <laughs> this. A bit like Scala, where it's all optional, you know. <laughs> okay, should sure, forget that. I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everything is so, optional.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, well everything is an underscore.
1: That's scala. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ouch. let's not let's not okay. get there. Uh, so coming back to the the, the whole um, Plank thing, um, so can you can we use Plank to write native scripts or something on on Mac? Because this has been one of the biggest complaints from people, or not complaints, but you know, of course, there is a lot of complaints on the internet about everything. But um, the 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 boot up time for for closure itself on JVM, you know, it's 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 pretty slow. Obviously, you can't make uh, quick scripts with it. But Planck is, as you say, at, at the Planck speed, so it's okay, super yes. fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can can you use it so, to make, make scripts? And, so first and how of all, would that yeah. work?
2: Yeah, one thing I would I would make a comment on is I think a lot of us probably think Clojure is slow to start up because of the the length of time it takes line to start up, when you start up the line REPL. But if you if you actually so I, I of course I compared the closure REPL to Planck startup speed and plonk's about twice as fast as a closure REPL, but they're both really fast they're you know i think uh for example you know it of course depends on the machine you're on but um the closure REPL would start up and say half a second whereas plonk only goes maybe at a quarter of a second and and Mm -hmm. plonk is playing this trick on you though and and the way it makes it look faster is when you type plonk it immediately shows the prompt uh, it doesn't yeah. actually. It doesn't actually wait until the entire closure script engine is up and running. Uh, it's that, okay. that first prompt that you see, the CLJS user, is hard yeah, yeah. is hard coded in native code. So, oh. it, and that's the trick. So, it's, so you're faking it, it till you're yes, making it. Yes, it's, it's all a matter of perception, right? So so that's of course, so when you and, and in fact, when you start up Plonk, you can actually uh, start typing. And by the time you as a human have finished typing your first form, Plonk's going to be finished. You know, starting up. But okay. but right. that trick does not work when you're writing a script, right? Because you're gonna yeah. you're gonna like execute a script, and there's no you know <laughs> you're not typing in forms at that point. The, the script has got to run. So so to answer your question, you can you can use Plunk and you can make scripts that that run in about a quarter of a second. If, okay, if but
1: in the in the in the scripts yeah. though, can yeah. I can I use the whole Node.js um, libraries? Oh, is okay. there any yeah, so,
2: integration with them. So okay, so that's interesting. So Plunk is based on JavaScript core. And so it, it basically, if you kind of look at what Plunk really is, it's a bunch of native code that, that interfaces with the operating system for various things. So like if you if you use Plunk has like a shell capability, so it will it'll use uh, ns task. It's an Objective C way to to launch a task. Um, so really, Plunk is a bunch of, of glue to hook you into various things and and. People are adding new things to it. Eric Assum is working on adding sockets to it. He he recently added okay. HTTP support. Uh, so it's a, just a oh. matter of kind of gl- taking the native stuff that exists and then surfacing it, if you will, as Java func or JavaScript functions that can then yeah. be exposed as ClosureScript functions in in, uh, in Plunk. But then there there is this whole Node thing, and yeah. so Plunk is Plunk is not based on Node. Plunk's based on JavaScript core, um, but. Yeah. Ramzi Nasser has been working on a Node-based version, uh, kind of an equivalent. You know, it it, mm. it it does more things, but it's also part of it is a, it can be a REPL, so you can okay. you can and he does the very same trick where you start it up and it shows you the prompt right away. <laughs> uh, and,
0: uh, but with with the Node one, does that mean that you can run it on other platforms yes, as well? Yes.
2: Yeah, you can. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, wh- one thing that's kind of interesting is a lot of the stuff that it takes to Create a bootstrapped closure script REPL. If you can imagine, it's it's like a lot of common code that you would imagine hmm. being written over and over again. So that was that was uh, all factored out. Uh, Andrea Ricciardi and, and the replum effort. He basically took he took a lot of plonk and a lot of the stuff that Joel Martin did initially with with making the stuff work in bootstrap mode and made a library called replum that that anyone can use to make a bootstrap REPL. So, so I then turned around and used that to make one that works on Node, and and that one is portable. It runs in different places, but it, I haven't put a lot of effort into it to make it nice. And, and Romsey actually started using the same stuff. So, okay, I don't know if that answers your but question. It, yeah.
1: yeah, 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 of yeah. course, and, and more the, than that. Okay. it. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. Rambling on and on. The, Actually, I think yeah. um, uh, two three months ago, I was um, playing with uh, you know the Lego. Uh, NXT brick, the mindstorms oh. thing, yeah, yeah, mindstorms thing with the latest one, and and there, there is a um, different kind of core that you can use on top of it, and uh, you can install that one, and it comes with a Node.js uh, on top of it. Oh wow! And I was able to write closure script and then get into hook into the Lego uh, NXT thing. That was pretty cool, actually. Oh, I right. think I think I know um, um, Anna Polishka. Yeah, yep. If yep. I'm pronouncing correctly. Yeah. I think she was also trying the same stuff as well. And yep. she's also, I, I see her tweets. Uh, no, I, I, on, on, on I took her thing. stuff
2: as well. And I my son has one of those. And oh, I, cool. I, I got him to give me permission to reformat it so that we could use Anna's stuff on it. And, oh, and it, it worked. It yeah, was yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think
1: that that's what I, I was doing as well. I, I just, um, well, initially I was using Legos. You know, the, it was a Java-based operating system on top of Lego where it was super painful to load. Yeah. <laughs> on, uh, and I had the NXT 2 break, and that was even crappier. Anyway, let's not make it a Lego podcast, but that, yeah. That's yeah. something for, for for the guys who are listening, you know, you can run Closure Script on Node.js on Lego thing and do cool stuff with it.
0: Indeed. Well, I think the whole point about Script at the very beginning was, if I remember rightly, it was uh, Clojure rocks and JavaScript reaches, you know. So I think that was the, the, the tagline of Rich at the beginning. So... Of course. Now wherever Node goes, ClojureScript can follow. So yeah, awesome.
1: Okay. All so right. I think, so think uh, you
0: think he's got the job. I think so. No. Yeah. Okay. I'm afraid it's got zero salary though. Mike. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I work for but nothing. but you have but you have
1: amazing fame as an open source developer. <laughs> but do but do server.
0: carry on and also do everything we ask. Okay. Very quickly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But just just for the people who who are listening in, um, you know, um, if you're using Mac, if you're using iOS, I'd really recommend checking out Replete and and Plunk and play with it and uh, hopefully, you know, contribute to uh, stuff that is on on, on GitHub. I think Mike has been doing a lot of work and and helping us in in putting ClojureScript onto these platforms. So thanks, Mike. And uh, of course, you you know, uh, you can hang around and uh, let us know if... um, we want to continue with some other topics as well, uh, not just Plunk and and Replete in this podcast, because we started with repls. and um, the next obvious uh, thing is that you have a repl and you want to discuss like what what kind of IDEs you use in you know uh, in in conjunction so to speak. And I know there is a lot of IDEs like a big contention point in the in the in the community. Everybody has their own favorites, and uh, obviously I'm one of those people who uses Emacs. Um, so Emacs has Why been, is that
0: obvious, by the way? Uh,
1: because of the way I keep bringing it up every other time <laughs> whenever I speak editor, and there is only one true editor, and that's just basically Emacs. Well, anyway, uh, so I think one of the major, major. Because you're a uh, real programmer. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, degrade any other editors though. But they're not real editors, you know. Of course, these days everything is web-based things, and and that can't even load <coughs> two megabyte files, and it just crashes all the time. But anyway, so Emacs has been one of the one of the editors for the for the central Lisp development. You know, it's 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 basically Lisp, of course, with a with a, with a tiny C core. Probably as Mike was pointing out, you know, there is a tiny Objective C core in Plank and the rest of it is Script, I hope. Something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> so Emacs is built in, in, in Lisp, and uh, obviously there is uh, initially there were some efforts around bringing closure to uh, Emacs in, in different ways. There is closure mode and there is a lot of uh, different kind of packages. But then um, uh, the, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Bozidar Patsov, I think. Uh, so he came in and he's the god of Emacs right now for at least for the closure development. And, he uh, makes
0: great presentations, by the way. Yeah, I yeah. love this guy's presentations. I'm not a user of his code, but I do love his presentations. <laughs> exactly.
1: I think he's he's much more much more into Emacs than I am, though. Uh, so he, I think he he brought all the things together, and then there is this community effort called Cider, which is uh, basically uh, closure IDE for Emacs, and and so that's what I use. And Cider comes with lots of fancy stuff. I mean, um, you, there is also uh, clj refactor so all the refactoring things are also available as a package and i'm not sure how many of, of i mean i don't know if you have guys seen magnar's uh, emacs rocks podcasts and he also made this zombie game um, in, in emacs i think zombies versus parents or something so he, he made a live um, recording of building a ClojureScript game in emacs and and though his his uh, screen calls are amazing but anyway so emacs is one of the one of the nicest things, and of course, Emacs is a, a Cider, obviously, and, and Cider has this uh, multiple projects in it, multiple packages. So you have the closure mode that, that gives you nice syntax highlighting and everything that's the standard with every editor. And then you have this uh, REPL connectivity within Emacs, within Cider, uh, that uses NREPL And it has, a, I think, it, somehow it, it, it was before this um, uh, network REPL put into Clojure 1.8. So there was this effort going on. Uh, already, And uh, there were some discussions about how um, the same stuff can be used everywhere as well. So it kind of set a standard, uh, so to speak, in terms of the network rebels, I, I believe, uh, at least you know, for the closure and, and Emacs world. But obviously, there are other editors, I think, uh, like Cursive. And last time I was making a joke that, hey, Cider has Cider in it and Cursive has Curse in it or something like that. <laughs>
0: It was a bad joke then. I mean, it of doesn't really better, but okay. But yeah, um, I think what's interesting actually is uh, with because yeah, I'm, I'm a cursive user, so is Mike as well. So it's two on to one. Yeah. And, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, <clears> think <throat> I think what's what's interesting about cursive is that it understands the uh, the, the the kind of compiler itself uh understand and the REPL itself understands the language. That's the big difference, I think, between um REPLs that are running in Vim and Vi and sorry, VI um and uh and and Emacs and, and other systems. Whereas with Cursive, Cursive really understands all of the forms. So when you're looking at the REPL, like in the REPL you can reformat everything you can you can all the syntax highlighting has been working from day one um it, it's really uh got a, a complete understanding of closure itself the syntax and not just a connection to an external REPL that it can poke and see what the error messages are
1: yeah of course i mean there is a there is probably an emacs command for that but i'm not going to say it loud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is text butterfly or something. Yeah. But one thing well, that, that, that... I think, actually, to be perfectly honest, though, I mean, obviously everyone can have their own editors. So that's not a problem. Yeah. I think the reason why editors like Cursive are interesting and uh, the other editors like Atom, which has this ink repl, yeah. Um is that people sometimes want to come to Clojure and actually just learn Clojure and stick with a kind of editor that they like. And the good thing about things like cursive and Atom and stuff like that is that actually that's possible now. You know, if you're, you if you're coming from Java or JavaScript or whatever, you can pick up an editor um, and just essentially have have at it with. I mean, actually, do you know that the Microsoft um, version of um, their editor now? What the hell is it called? Uh, Visual Studio Code is it, it yeah it's something it's, like that visual code or something yeah, visual it's studio some code. sort of cut down version of their visual studio yeah. that mike was such a big fan of before apparently <laughs> um the uh, the visual studio community edition that's based on electron yeah, which yeah. is this atom thing yeah. um and they support closure
1: yeah i think the, uh, also if the we, when you're talking about cursive i think one of the most interesting use cases for cursive for me at least is mixed code bases when especially when you have java and then closure code base I don't know if you... And also, um, when, you're, when you're digging through large code base, like Storm, for example, Storm has plenty of closure code in it, and then navigating it becomes pretty easy in, in, in cursive. So I do that with Intelligent Cursive when I'm navigating large code bases because you can click around and see the you know hierarchies and all that stuff. So Storm has some Java code and then closure code. Uh, Storm, the big data processing thingy, the uh, real-time stream processing stuff. So that that's one of the nicest parts about Cursive and also as you're pointing out, if you're used to Java development and then switching to Closure development is essentially just installing a plugin and you know the editor, you're used to it and and there is no I remember like three four years ago whenever somebody wants to get into Closure the first advice was first learn Emacs and then that, that, that itself <laughs> yeah. you know putting people off. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. The, and, and it's it's a big big hill to climb. But these days, uh, with the different kinds of packages, like um, the Ciders uh, author uh, Bozidar, has his own starter package. That's a very helpful if you want to start with Emacs. Um, and also there is SpaceMax and those kind of things help. But still, they're 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 built on a lot of historical craft. So you need to understand a different editor completely. But um, Mike, so we've been. F- you know, going about cursive versus you know this one. So, what what is your preferred
2: editor? Oh, I like cursive. I mean, I, I think um, I'm a pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple human being. To me, I mean, to me, Emacs was awesome because it was simpler than Vi. You know, <laughs> way back in the day. And
0: I don't think so. Come on. Oh, uh,
2: I think so. It, well, it was ways of it. Right? So okay, in Emacs you can just type. I don't know. Stuff I was always it. a Vi guy. Yeah. So yeah. I
0: guess it was the modes okay. that you have to be
2: in a Vi. That, yeah, but anyway, yeah. I, I remember true, it being yeah. that way. But yeah, I'm. I I I use like the normal light mode instead of dark mode, and I'm just very simple. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm I'm at home with cursive. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Because
1: now now I'm using SpaceMax a lot. So that that's basically Vi and then Emacs, and then there is a hybrid mode and holy mode and. It's it's a it's a pretty decent community though, so it, it, it's been serving me pretty okay. So,
0: but just just yeah. a quick mm-hmm. question now: Why why does Emacs call cursive uh, call uh, closure an inferior Lisp?
1: It doesn't, uh. yeah, because inferior okay, Lisp is, is well, it's it's, <laughs> it's not it's not closure. But initially, when there were different kinds of uh, ways to plug in to um, plug in plug in your buffer, uh, buffer is what they call like the editor window. Uh, and then sending the forms to a different process, so there is an there is a process that is started that is inferior to the to the main process that you're using. So there used to be ah, inferior Lisp initially, okay. and then there okay. was slime, and and then slime used SWANK protocol, and then later um, I think when. Um,
0: I was having a joke, actually. I mean, I just really meant that. It looks, you've got on the screen all the time, inferior lisp, inferior but, lisp. But like, that's what, oh, this is an okay lisp, actually,
1: you know? But you are the superior lisp. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you can just rename the
0: buffer, you know. <laughs> good to know, good to know. Okay. Actually, I was going to talk to Mike about the, uh, about the stuff, the, the repls that are in, uh, in Xcode. Because if you're using Swift, the playgrounds and things—I think those guys have some pretty swish things—or maybe it's just—and actually, I remember mm. uh, looking at your—I think it was on Replete that David Nolan said that there was a scheme Repl that you should imitate. Yes, yeah. You know, we should. You know, there's all this kind of stuff out there, but there's definitely there's a lot of uh, let's say in in the editor land. There's a lot of um, still a lot of potential to make the whole Repl experience a bit more swish, smooth, delightful. You know.
2: Yeah, one thing I kind of wonder about is that just the idea that it's, you know, if you think about things like Basic, right? You could flip on a computer yeah. in in the '70s, yeah. and, and Basic was kind of like amenable to typing into a REPL, right? You could just type in, yeah, yeah. type in a little simple statement and, and hit return, and it meant something. And if you think about something like Java, I don't know how the Java REPL is supposed to work. I haven't played with that, but. It's like you need to type up enough stuff to, to mean something in languages like that. Uh, yeah. So I don't. I've I've only played with the Swift REPL a little bit, and I can't recall what what it does with with that concept of being able to type in something small enough that actually could be evaluated that is meaningful.
0: Um, no, it is like that. It really is. Yeah. It's very it's very closure like actually. Ah. So you can just you can just write functions because actually Swift is quite functional mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know you can just write functional forms and just add 2 plus 1 and stuff like that and you'll get a result or you can have a for loop and it's, it's very REPL like yes yeah.
1: Um, I'm, I'm curious about the Java 9 REPL though I haven't tried it yet but uh, I think it is it is now ready for developer consumption at least I think we should I'll, I'll try that out soon but I remember back in the days there used to be Bean Shell for Java oh yeah, uh, so, yeah. so you could you could just play with a smaller version of uh, Java so to speak and 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 I in one of the projects I embedded it into into the swing application and then bean shell and that was uh, uh, something that I don't want to recall but uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially moving on to better repls these days okay let's um, let's see what what else so the, obviously these repls are, are I think more like um, development tools and 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 they're 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 taking some forms and then evaluating them and giving it back. But nowadays there is this better versions. I think the discussion we are moving towards, like uh, you have this Swift playgrounds and that is, that shows the real time evaluation of um, your, your form. And, and I think in the closure side we have now, obviously we have to talk about fig wheel. Fig wheel is one of the awesome tools ever. Uh, you know, you, you don't need to refresh and, Initially, it used to be like, okay, you write code, you compile, wait for this thing, and then reload it or redeploy the whole package, and then see the results. Uh, back in the days when I was doing the Seam development, JBoss Seam, and all the other crap, and oh, then Jesus. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then there is this hot reloading, and then you had to oh, get some sort of a Java agent to load the classes and all the crap, and then this whole web development, like okay, I change the code, and then I refresh manually, and then I see the changes, and even that became a big a big time-consuming thing apparently and then the fig wheel came in and then live reloading this has been ridiculously different or even a productivity tool right i mean mm-hmm. you just plug in for sure yeah you start it and then the every time your code is compiled on the fly and then you see the results and even the better thing is as i, as I was pointing out earlier um, before the podcast obviously um, that that we have this. Um, I'm I'm now building a line electron application that comes up with a and uh, Figwheel uh, support automatically, and then I'm I'm typing the code in and I see the results immediately, and I also see the error things and, and it shows that okay I can't load this namespace because there is an error in it, and Figwheel uh, I think uh, was it Bruce Howman? I, um, I'm yeah, very bad yeah. with pronouncing names though. I, I think, think that did. works. Yeah. Okay, so I think that therefore there is is really really helpful in terms of if you're building code and then you're writing code you don't need to wait for things to load But that,
0: yeah, that's I think the main really thing like about it. that is that you know you, you can be 15 pages in and uh, some fuck up happens and then you just make a change to your code and bam you, you, can, you can just reload that bit of the application that's the, that's the wonderful thing about it isn't it you know? yeah. so you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning again Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the really nice thing but there's a whole class of these things that are hanging around, you know, uh, listening for stuff changing. Figwheel is obviously the, the the poster child of that. But we, you know, in my favorite Hoplon world, we yeah. we also have that with the Hoplon and Boot. Um, so you have a live coding application as well. So if you if you make changes to your to your H or whatever as you're going along, uh, you're changing some some CSS on the page. Or some html bam it just refreshes it live you don't need to make any changes so so i think it's you know it's worth saying that other 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 tool chains uh what do they say in the adverts other tool chains do exist or other tool chains are available for so kudos to bruce but also kudos to to alan and to to misha on the boot and hoplon side because they're doing great work over there as well and it's very very reactive yeah
1: and also on on the server side so um so mike you you're, you're using a lot of closure script do you do you also build closure server side applications or do you use closure yeah i do yeah uh, for okay so what kind of tooling do you use there did do, do you use um, i don't know line uh, sorry any any ring middleware like ring refresh or
2: uh, what is your workflow so, there so um i i think i'm more of a i take more of a basic approach for myself where i would just I, I go to the REPL and I type uh, require this namespace with the reload flag. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, that. But the the idea of uh, like like Stuart Sierra's component I think is pretty compelling. I've started using that recently. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. that's kind of nice and, and the idea of it taking care of tearing down your state and bringing it all back up again. Um,
1: yeah. But to to bring up the whole refresh thing um obviously mm-hmm. you need to structure an application in such a way that you can reload the state easily right otherwise it's it's going to be fairly painful to to load i don't know maybe yes, we yeah. should compare with the way that that you store the state in uh, in in ohm based applications or hoplon for example
0: well i think yeah i mean you definitely the big difference is this uh is the whether you have a <clears throat> Uh, a single state or a multiple states how fine-grained your states are obviously it's it's more fine-grained in hoplon than traditionally in react yeah and the, the model is very different actually i think between the two things so one of these days we'll have a we've since we've had a, a cursive versus cider chat one of these <laughs> days we should have a hoplon versus uh react chat because yeah. i see there's a I mean- few things doing around there um but I think the, the whole concept of hoplon and boot is basically say, you know, we're going all the way on Lisp mm. and we're not we're not gonna stop halfway. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think I think the React guys are very practical in saying, well actually we get a lot of reach out of or the, the um and the reagent guys are saying, we you know we get a lot of mileage and a lot of reach out of React. We we don't get that from just from clo- just from just from uh, just from JavaScript.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's see what, what what other REPLs are available. So right now, there is uh, lots of stuff on the web, obviously. there. I think the first one was triclosure.com or something that was running uh, oh, probably yeah. NREPL on the server, and then you're, you're typing yeah, forms, yeah. and
2: that was the first one. Was that Fogus, or was that someone <laughs> um,
0: else? Was that Fogus, or was that someone
2: else? Fogus did Hymira, right? Yeah, Oh Hymira, yeah, Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. But this was
1: even before that, I think, triclosure. Maybe it was probably Ryan or somebody, I don't remember. I apologize I'll look it up next time and we'll give you the proper uh, uh, attribution but I think the latest uh, amazing thing that we have seen is clips right I, in in my opinion it is possible because of closure script in closure script
2: that's true right? yeah is that uh,
1: yeah, yeah I don't, so now now you have the whole closure script environment uh, available in the browser so that's yeah if you look you at can the embed way the uh, whole thing.
2: if you look at the way Hymera works it um it is a closure script repl in, in a web page, but it operates by sending forms to a back-end server that has yes. closure yeah, yeah, available yeah, to yeah. compile it. Yeah, but yeah, this whole bootstrapping thing allows you to basically have the compiler in the web page with you. Um, yeah, and it, it so we
1: could put we could put you know all the quad core machines that people have these days, and then just just use their browser. Yes, yeah, <laughs> farm
2: <laughs> it out
0: to them. Exactly, but what what I like about that is the fact that it's just, yeah, you you can, like I've written some blogs in the, um, we've all written blogs about closure and stuff like that, and and the clips guys are basically saying, ah, yeah, well that's all fine. You you cut and paste these bits of you know these gists Mm -hmm. or these little snippets of closure code, uh, but no one can try them, you know. And we're going back to the Brett Victor thing we were talking about before. No, Brett Victor is all about live code, all about experimenting in in the place where you read the thing you yeah. know if you see some of his documentaries talks about or his long essays about data being live on the page this brings us really close to this possibility i think well not only brings us close to it it makes it a real possibility a real option yeah so you can you know when you're putting your closure code out on the web you can embed it and you can people can play with it people can tr- change it and experiment with it which is yeah. just just bloody brilliant, you know.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, there, there was some sort of uh, what I would like to call kind of a uh, prior art, so to speak. I think uh, so. There was CLJS fiddle, and that that was based on That's JS true. fiddle, and yeah. you could you could type in CLJS Clip. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and That's that just was,
0: shows you what the JavaScript is, which is nice. Yeah,
1: yeah. So th- there was experiments, but I think Clip, the nice thing about clips is that the whole embeddable concept—you can just put the whole thing in the page, yeah. and then and then just. Make it run immediately without having any any other dependencies, and and we also had this notebook kind of stuff like Gorilla, Apple, and um, so you can. Uh, I think notebooks are like a big rage in the in the big data world these days, and everybody builds a notebook these days. Uh, there is IPython, and there is a Spark notebook, and Jupyter, and all sorts of stuff. Zeppelin, of course, yeah. Hmm. I think Zeppelin is my favorite thing, though. But there is a there is a, um, a closure uh, backend for Zeppelin, so. I think Zeppelin is pretty cool. But I think Gorilla Apple was the first one in the closure world, right? Uh, for for doing the stuff on the web.
0: Yeah. And that's also embeddable as well. I mean, you know, you can you can also put yeah. that into um you know, into your CMS system or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you can publish stuff via you know what are the documentum or what's the, the alfresco, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing.
1: Yeah. And speaking of the Bruce Howman stuff I think dev cards is is one of the ways you can have your uh, application state and then keep modifying it I never used it though uh, Mike did you have any experience with dev cards
2: uh no not directly um one of my coworkers uses it and see if you try to characterize what is dev cards it's you know Bruce Bruce had a podcast recently where he did a good job of explaining it um but it's it's this idea that you you you're working on some piece of UI, a piece of UI component, right? And you want to just work on it in isolation. You know, you don't want to you don't want to have it tangled in with the rest of your application that you're going to be using it in. Yeah. So you just kind of want to have it off to the side and have some like container to host it in. And you also want to perhaps see simultaneously different variants on that that UI component. You know. Maybe different if it's a you know different sizes or different whatever, and you want to like change things and see dynamically or immediately uh, the feedback of what what it does to that component. That's that's my high okay. level understanding of it. Okay. Yeah, I
0: think the other. I mean, the main point is that you can. So that's from like, from your perspective, mm-hmm. but also I think the 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 idea is that you can then transfer that to other developers. So it's like ah, a yeah. okay. literate programming model as well. Um, so it's very you know. It's it's great documentation because it's the kind of stuff that you know we can't be satisfied with Swagger, you know. It's good Swagger yeah. is a it's a hell of a lot better than Word, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we can all agree on that, you know. But but this takes that that to the next level, doesn't it? That you know all of these kind of things, which I think are really fascinating. All these embeddable ripples, you know, because we move from like the most fundamental primitive things to now we're really talking about transferable code all over the internet, um, which is and really using the REPL not only to please ourselves but also to communicate to other people. I think that's really fantastic.
1: Yeah. Of course, there was um, other <clears throat> kinds of fun we stuff. We must start doing th-
0: it one of these days. <laughs> 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 all three of us are just dilettantes. Obviously, we just never do anything like that. We just all, <laughs> all there to please ourselves. Anyway, um, <clears throat> right, okay. So... I think we're, we're running a bit late, actually, by the way, guys. We're uh, we're just past the hour time here. So it's just uh, been a great conversation, by the way. So um, I just want, just want to ask uh, maybe a few final questions, Mike. Uh, any final thoughts or uh, tips or anything about REPLs that, that we haven't covered yet? Uh,
2: one thing I would point out is I think, uh, to me, the whole idea of a REPL is kind of like that the basic thing that I mentioned earlier where it, it reminds me of being a kid again, you know, and back in the day, you could just, you could type something into a computer and make it do something for you immediately. And I, I think, and I hope that that, so I I have a 13 year old and an 11 year old, and I kind of hope that the existence of repls will help them more readily just hop into programming cuz if you think about it like if you say here's a java ide go program that's a lot of stuff for a kid to <laughs> you know what i
0: mean and oh god yeah and, and even yeah. like a real closure program it's a lot it's a lot for me to be honest you know yeah. i mean i really do I, I don't know i think probably all three of us we probably all do programming repls all day yeah yeah,
2: yeah so that's that's the wow. thought i have is that it makes it it kind of it, it's an entry point for younger kids to say like oh, i just want to try to evaluate a form you know so, so like yeah. my eleven-year-old daughter, she knows how to add numbers using closure now. You know, because it's so simple to teach, and she can actually type it into a Repl and, and get the instant gratification. I, I think obviously,
1: Replete, I suppose. Say that again. Obviously, she, she obviously she's using Replete, I suppose, on on her phone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty sure that's like an amazing thing. you know she can just go to the go to the school and then tell you know, yeah, this is what my dad built. I can show you how to define a protocol, like wow, <laughs> yeah, I don't think she thinks it's special. she just kind of it's
2: it's normal to her <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. she's living in the future, yeah. that's for sure, yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean if, if she has gone through the pain of, you know, building a spring application, then she would appreciate these things better, well, I think. But of course the future generation shouldn't go
2: through the pain. So what, what they what kids these days are getting into is um scratch. Scratch is the main. Yeah, yeah. It's the Right. Uh, I mean that's so w- there's also Minecraft and the ability to make mods and that's that's yes. a whole nother draw for kids. But I would yeah. what I would like is like if there was some kind of Bridge from something like scratch to closure, that'd be kind of cool where like you could you could almost yeah. imagine like a REPL being inside of scratch like if scratch were written in Common Lisp or whatever, you know it'd be nice if they would just expose something like that to get kids so accustomed to the idea that you can use text to represent code and you know,
1: yeah, I think I think um Timothy Hall or somebody um he had a presentation at uh, Euroclosure, Berlin about making kids programming. Uh, using closure script i need to look it up okay, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll send i'll send the link somewhere to you uh, tommy hall
0: that tommy yeah, hall, tommy hall. Okay. yeah that tommy hall exactly yeah. <laughs> actually i was there that day yeah. <laughs> yes uh and what his, his point was quite interesting he, his point was you teach these kids like stuff at school and you teach them in these uh, these languages i can't remember what language it was now but some language mm. about how to make knitting patterns or how to make you know, these kind of uh, Isha patterns or whatever. Yeah. Uh, And then you, you have specialist languages that you teach the kids how to do it in. And it's all very friendly and it's very easy to use and it's all based on guys having one arm or two arms and maybe you can compose them together and do all the four loops and this kind of crap. That's all great. But then the problem is once you've got to the point where you've done your crochet pattern or you've done your Isha drawing, then where do you go next you kind of don't go anywhere. You're screwed because those are just all like educational languages. They're not actually general-purpose languages. um Anyway, maybe we can come on to what because 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 that leads us on to the fun part. Because of course you're right. We want to get kids involved, and I know Sam Aaron, for instance, his whole thing is to try and make closure acceptable to children via music. You know, with yeah. this whole overtone stuff, and then the uh, on the Raspberry Sonic Pi, Pi as well, and Sonic yeah. Pi, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, and I was actually he did a presentation at Euro, that same Euroclosure actually, and he's often at the at the at the conferences, putting uh, using the REPL, um to yeah. play music, you know. And uh, and he he was actually he was telling me that he was oh he was telling me he was telling everyone. <laughs> so, but I felt like he was talking just to me. <laughs> Uh, but he was telling everyone that uh that he was like on a on a, doing a party or something and uh he was coding it all in and uh and of course he the the people see his his text that he's typing uh and then listen to the music and some guy comes up to him and says oh yeah that's a that's a really great special effect you've got all those like the the matrix type coding up up there you know he says no i'm coding it that's how it's making the music you know <laughs> that's what's happening <laughs> and uh so that, I mean that that stuff is great you know and it, it it that's the sort of thing that I think you can give to kids and let them just have fun with you know
1: Yeah Anyway I think we are um, we're running through uh yeah I think we're running out of time so I'd like to uh, wrap up uh and thanks a lot Mike for joining us and uh, so where can people find you and open pull requests to you for plank and other stuff
2: Oh um I think M-, M. Fikes or Mike Fikes, I-, I-, I don't have any special avatar or name. So if you're looking for me, just type <laughs> in my name and you're you'll find- easy. Yeah, I'm that kind of a guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for-, for-, for me, it's always been, you know, especially if you hang out on-, on IRC back in the days and you remember by their IRC names. Yeah. And then there was never real names and... I, I still don't remember the lining and guy's name I keep calling technomancy because I, that's what I know yeah yeah <laughs> I'm just stuck with it and, and as you can see that Timothy Hall that Tommy Hall I, I remember his Twitter avatar and that's weird looking uh, O'Reilly creature so it's, it's very difficult yeah, to yeah. put faces yeah. there so yeah. but yeah uh, so we can find you on on Slack. Obviously, I think you you hang out on Clojureians on Slack.
2: Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm on yeah, Twitter we as well. And I don't remember yeah. my IDs, but it's always Mike Fikes or whatever. You know, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, the, the yeah, simplest yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. will we, we'll You put get on links, there first uh, to, to your projects soon. Yeah. So uh, what is going to come up next time? So next time, I think we are, we are planning to discuss um, one of the. Um, Famous features of closure, which is essentially the the, the data types or uh, the persistence collections. So we'll we'll discuss dig deeper into the the core data structures that we have in closure, and then how they're built and what their features are, and which one you need to pick when, and uh, obviously a bit of um, discussion about maps and records and structs etc. So I think we'll we'll get into a bit more into the domain modeling as well. So that's that's I think the topic for the next time. Is there anything that I missed, uh, Ray?
0: Uh, no, I think that's really good. Oh, well, the only one thing we're going to talk about with the collections is the uh, the laziness for aspect, because um, I think that's that's a, a very interesting aspect of functional programming. Um, anyway, like you say, we're we're pretty much done here now. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap up. Uh, we've got all the show notes, or we'll put all the show notes uh, by the time you listen to this. They'll all be there on the website uh, defn.audio. D E uh, F N dot audio. Uh, we also have the MP3 on SoundCloud, and that pushes the RSS feed through to iTunes, so that's all good. Um, I want to do—we haven't done all the credits properly in the past, so I want to do that now quickly. So, first of all, thanks to you, Mike. Uh, it was a really been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks uh, for having talking me on, yeah. to you and. Uh, yeah, oh, proud us. Yes. <laughs> well, this is this is quite good for us, and we're three shows in. We're getting special guests already, so we feel honored to have you. Let's <laughs> be honest. Uh, of course, of honestly, course, thank you, thank yeah. you very much. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Fantastic. Yeah,
1: thanks a lot, thanks a lot, Mike, and joining us. And uh, of course, I think we we should do some other episode as well. Hopefully, in the future, when you re- when you release newer versions of it and you take Plunk further with light light speed. Oh yeah, sounds like and a plan. <laughs> that
0: that'll be awesome. <laughs> all right so one final credit is we should uh, credit um uh pizzeri for the intro and outro music which is uh, on his sound card, it's called melon hamburger thank you very much okay so that's it goodbye everyone thanks very much goodbye